Sometimes I have too many beers, which I gladly do and which I fully embrace. Working out, automatic. Blacking out, automatic. Catholic all-girls schools, automatic. Still is. It's the Litigation God Podcast. Hey, everybody. It's Saturday, May 16th. We're here for our first Litigation God podcast episode. Uh, my name is Miguel, last name Aristizabal. And no, that is not a disease. That is a real last name. Um, and I'm here with my uh, partner and the other uh, brains behind the operation, Steve. Hey, everyone. Um, so for the record, Steve is my pen name. I'm uh I'm not liberated on the plaintiff side like Miguel is, and I don't need any ethics complaints coming my way. So um, just to give some background, the two of us started Litigation God back in uh, November, around Thanksgiving time of 2018, and it was actually Miguel's idea first. Um, yeah, it was, it was actually crazy. I, was, I remember it was really late in the office. Um, I was with my two colleagues and they, one of them got a really funny email and I was like, Hey, this is really great. Let's uh, make a meme account out of this funny email. And they're like, Oh, that's so dumb. Nobody's going to like follow blah, blah, blah. And I persisted and I went on with the idea. I asked a couple people from our uh, law school class as well. And they all were like, Miguel, you're not funny. That's not going to work at all. I reached out to Asif, who said the same exact thing, but then I convinced him otherwise, and he uh, decided to start it with me, and here we are. Yeah, and uh, I, I just want to say on behalf of everyone on the internet, Miguel, you have uh, progressively actually gotten funny over the last two years. So uh, let's, let's do a clap for uh, for all the baby steps Miguel's taken. <laughs> actually, I would say uh, Miguel's posts are usually the more successful ones. Um, it's one of the interplays that we have where... Uh, I would say, like, mine's more of, like, the darker, like, Seinfeld-type humor. Miguel's more of a Friends, uh, maybe even Big Bang Theory. Just basic, <laughs> just super basic. Cool. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, but, yeah, you know, when you, when you start a meme account um, and you start doing numbers, the next logical step as far as vanity projects is to, what, make a podcast, right? Yeah, it's the millennials' dream. We're we're living it right now. Of course, we had to do a podcast, but um, more than that, we just thought that there was nothing out there that we would want to listen to, um, and we're like, listen, let's uh, let's take this uh, form that we already have. Um, let's use let's you know bring people in that have different law uh, jobs. For example, uh, district attorneys or prosecutors, public defenders, people that work at big law, plaintiffs, just all types of different law professionals to come in and just have like an off the cuff discussion with them, um, you know, kind of like a Joe Rogan style thing. And so that's what we're going to try to do. Um, let's see if you have any other. Yeah. So, I mean, part of it is like no dis disrespect to anyone that's done a law podcast, but as, as far as I know, I haven't heard of it. And I've been practicing, like, we've been in the legal field for seven years. And I get the impression that if you do have one, it's probably something really serious and informative. And maybe you're using it as a way to market yourself. We're not trying to do that. Uh, just like with the meme account, we're trying to keep it light. Just set some insight into what things are like on the inside. But also just talk about relatable experiences that everyone connect to. So um, I guess... With that being said, um, let's just get into our backgrounds. Miguel, why did you go to law school in the first place? 
Oh man, so I am originally from Colombia, and in Colombia, the legal system is complete shit. Nothing works. So when I came to America, barely spoke any English. I remember um, we went to an immigration lawyer and we walked in and it was like one of those big law firms. And I was like, holy shit, like this is what I want to do. I want to, you know, not immigration law per se, but I wanted to be a lawyer, someone that understood how things worked and, you know, just were, were, was part of the cool judicial system that the United States had. Um, of course, that was very naive. I didn't know what being a lawyer was, was going to be like. And uh, here we are. What about you, Asif? The, the first half of that kind of sounded like your admissions letter to law school. I was going to let you know. You already made it. <laughs> you don't need to. <laughs> you don't have to write the Hallmark story. Um, for me, uh, let's see. So throwback to about 2012, um, there was this pre-workout that I love to take. The real OGs who are listening know it. It was called Jacked. And uh, I love really intense spelling where instead of um, the E, they replaced it with the three. Jacked 3D. It was like Adderall anyway, without a prescription. It was, it was intense. I think I actually took it when I was taking the LSAT for energy. <laughs> um, I, I probably could have done better because I kept going to the bathroom to piss. But anyways, um, it was an amazing pre-workout. But then all of a sudden in 2012, it got taken off the market because some idiot took it and then like started running sprints in the dead heat. And then soon after that, a, another legend disappeared from the market, original formula for loco, which if you had the original wow. for loco, you know, that was the shit. Wait, Asif, do you so, hear that? Do you, oh, that's the world's smallest violin playing. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what? I, I told myself, you know, I'm, I'm tired of the government taking away my favorite products. I'm not going to let this stand. I'm going to be a hero and I'm going to go to law school. Well, it turns out like you actually need to be smart to do um, like this IP FDA type shit. So here we are. Um, here we are right now. That's, that's my, uh, that's my sob story. That's my, I actually wrote that in my uh, essay, by the way, I, I, I wrote for a loco. No, you didn't. This is why I lived the life that no, I didn't. Oh, actually, my, my, my story actually is kind of, Mirrors the same. I also immigrated here, and um, on uh, on my first day, I just got dropped off at the school. That I really didn't <laughs> I know love what, this story. Uh, I was doing. I really, I really didn't know what I was doing. So I knew it. I knew enough to like recognize where like what the bathroom symbols were. So I knew this was like the boys' room, right? So I just went in. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing. I just sat on the toilet and just had a big old cry. Like the waterworks were on. Really, really. <laughs> Big old cry. Then I gathered myself and I was like, you know what? I got this. So I, I tried to get out of the bathroom and I was like ready and I pushed and I kept pushing and the door wouldn't push open. You actually had to pull. I didn't know that. I got on my hands and knees and then I actually crawled out of the bathroom stall. And I use that as a metaphor for overcoming adversity. So if any of you, if anyone's foolish enough to still thinking about, um, Going to law school. There you go. There, there's a free admissions essay for you at work that got got me into a top twenty school. It can do wonders for you. All right. Yeah. So Steve and I went to Emory. Go uh, Eagles! Still undefeated. 
that's where we met. Um, and I know you hate law school, but for me, it was the best three years of my life. The, obviously, 1L kind of sucked, but 2L and 3L were just amazing. I, um, you know, your, your way of thinking just changes. So I know you, you always tell people not to go to law school. I think people should go to law school if they absolutely, they, they have to sh for sure know that they want to be a lawyer and they need to really understand what that's like. And I think maybe that we can help them with that by, by kind of giving them some perspective. Right. Well, first of all, like if you don't know what you want to do, this is, this is not like a good like gap before you can you know, before you have to be an adult, because you have to look at it as three years where you're most likely taking loans, but you're also not generating any income. Okay. Yeah, 100%. And then on top of that, um, I mean, let's talk about the legal market right now. Uh, when, when we were graduating, uh, we went to a top 20 school, Emory, um, but I think close to, we had close to maybe 350 to 400 students, but at the time of graduation, only a third of us had jobs and um that was you know that was back four years ago like let's talk about what's happening right now summer 2020. yeah no that's 100 percent true and, and i think a lot of people right now are probably freaking out um i know when i graduated i was i had a job lined up and the firm actually went bankrupt so i had to i had no job when i was taking the bar but i think it just gives you you know you can just put your head down and I sent, I remember I sent like a hundred applications, finally got a job. Um, so I think if you're out there, don't worry so much about not having a job lined up. Just keep grinding, study your ass off, take the bar. And then once after that, you'll find something, something will come your way. Um, if not, I always, we always joke the people that didn't make it to big law or didn't have a good job after graduation are probably making the most money out of any of us, of the people of our graduating class, because they have their, they have their own firm. They're doing plaintiff's work and they're killing it. Yeah, I would say the one caveat is just in the beginning, it might be a struggle just to have that capital. Um, so maybe you might be better off just joining like a local plaintiff's firm possible and then sort of just learning the ropes from there. But if like four, four years out, um, you're on your own, you're, you're going to crush it. And speaking of making the jump to the plaintiff side, uh, Miguel just made the jump. He was working at... Um, GT Greenberg Chartered, which I think is like a B50, if not higher, big law firm. And then he just made the jump about uh, less than a month ago. So what, what prompted that jump, Miguel? Um, it was actually really cool. I had always wanted to switch to the plaintiff side and I'm more of a plaintiff's attorney in the way I think. Um, not that I like to lie. I know you're probably going to say like, oh, Miguel, you know, <laughs> he went to the plaintiff side. That's not true. Uh, but it was awesome because two months before or a month before COVID, the main partner I work with, who I've been really lucky because a lot of the partners. So let, let's step back a little bit. When I first started in big law, I remember the first all lawyer meeting that I attended. I looked around and I saw all the partners and I was like, do I really is this my goal? I want to I want to be a partner and I want to be in their in their shoes. And none of them seemed happy. Everybody was you know completely miserable. They hadn't slept. They're, you know, they're probably on their third or fourth marriage. So I always, I always knew that I, my goal in life was not to be partner. So I was just going to take this experience and move elsewhere, hopefully to the plaintiff side. And then a month before COVID nineteen hit, the principal shareholder that I've always worked with, him and I get along super well. He's been a great mentor. He's like, hey, listen, I think this is a great time for me to open my own firm. I've always wanted to do this, and I want to bring you along. So I jumped ship, and it's been two months. It's been a lot of work. 
Um, more than just being a lawyer, you have to do all the business side of it, which is kind of cool. Um, but it is a lot of work, but so far I'm loving it, man. It's been great. And, uh, I will say there, there were a couple of times, uh, well, first of all, I'm, I'm an insurance defense, so I have a natural aversion to plaintiff's attorneys, but Miguel did ask me a few times or just threw it out there like, Hey, like we should get to the plaintiff side and you know, it's, it's going to be a lot more fun, a lot more money. And I always told him I, I'm not good at lying. That's why <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't. <laughs> it's, it's, it's called bending the truth. Um, you know, it's, it's alternative facts, if you will. Alternative facts. There we yeah, go. I love that. I love that. Um, and then let's go a little bit into your background, which is really interesting because you were a uh, prosecutor before you made the jump into private practice. How was that? So, um, yeah, I, I worked as a DA at one of the New York City offices. Um, it was it was amazing. It, it was a lot of fun. Uh, before anybody takes it and runs with it, um, what I meant was the the type of law that I was doing and the type of courtroom experience that I got. It's don't take that as a, I enjoy throwing people in jail. That's, that's not what I meant. Um, it was really cool to be in court as often as I did because it seemed like, you know, like what like think about what you pictured a lawyer as when you were like seven, eight, nine, you thought of it as somebody who was in the courtroom, right? Bro, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> exactly. That's and it. That's what this was. That's, that's what this was. And so you're in there, there's always adrenaline, you know, just running through you. You get trial experience really early on. And I will say um, one of the best parts about working at a DA's office is the people. And listen, like, a lot of people are smart. A lot of people are smart when they go to law school, right? You have to. You got to take the outside. You have to have a good GPA. But not everybody has interpersonal skills. Okay. I think uh, you said it best in one of your tweets. Like, you ever meet a lawyer and it's so obvious that no one ever told them to shut the fuck up? <laughs> That's it's true. Well, like the DA's office was different because um, most of my colleagues, like, they were fun people, and it didn't feel like work. Uh, a lot of times, oh, another stereotype is, you know, people who work in government leave at 5 o'clock. Absolutely not true. Um, I was there regularly until like 8.30, 9, worked a lot of weekends. But work didn't feel like work. Work felt like hanging out with my friends and there was like a camaraderie there and we were all in it together. Do you think, I think gets do you think that's lost in big law. Do you think it's because the type of people in big law or do you – because obviously, like you're saying, you were working pretty similar hours, right? Right. Yeah. So do you think it's more of the, of the type of people that make it to big law, like the top 20% of, of the graduating class, which are usually like, you know, they have no um, interpersonal skills. They can't really communicate well with others and they're just in the back office. Um, I, I would say it's, it's a combination of two factors. AKA First, they can't party. They don't know how to party. <laughs> they never had original formula for loco. They don't yeah, know. Exactly. Um, I think, so I think a, percentage of those people that you talked about like like they like the law maybe a little too much you know like they're, they're the gunners they want to get into the weeds of like you know supreme court dissents and just get into it a little too much and they also just like to argue and they use words like oh like i'm just being facetious and like oh, like they just don't know how to talk like human beings there's always people like that but part of it also i feel like 
Are you scared I'm by big words, bro? Huh? I I have a five word vocabulary. That's why I win my motions because they keep it simple. Um, but I think part of it also, and maybe you can shed some light on this, is just the environment of big law means that you just kind of can't like unwind and be yourself because you're always on, right? You're always you can on. You never be yourself. Right. And you're always getting like texts and emails and you're always just on. It was, uh, always, it was, we always, we always joked around, um, with my colleague, with like the other associates. Cause everybody, like, we'd be like, you can't look happy because if you look happy, the partners would be like, a, you have way too little work. You haven't built enough or B you're just weird. And like, you shouldn't do that around here. It's like no fun zone. <laughs> meanwhile, I know smile zone. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm pulling pranks on all the other associates and all the partners like hate me except for the partner I work with because I was actually like fun. It was crazy. That's that. That's your uh, that's your explanation of your annual reviews. I was just too much fun. Okay, <laughs> they couldn't handle me. Over Sorry, there. I party. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, no, it's it's crazy. But what about like more hands-on skills? Like I feel like as a prosecutor. It, like if you want to be a trial attorney, the the best route you can take is to be a prosecutor first. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that one hundred percent. Within, you know, like if you're like if you're there like two to three years, you're gonna get like bench trials, jury trials under your belt. I know overall we don't go to trial as much as you know people did in the seventies and eighties, but part of it is. You prep for a lot of cases that end up pleading at the last second, just fine, because then you still put in all the work of preparing your witnesses, right? Getting all the evidence ready, the exhibits, thinking about what's going to be objected to, thinking about your, you know, um, your motions that you're going to be making. And so that's just a great way. It's like, you know, getting thrown into the deep end. You're going to get like a large volume of cases coming down your way, but also you're also going to get um, autonomy, which you don't get in big law because your supervisor doesn't have time to babysit you. you. Like I at one point had 250 cases that I was managing. So I had to make like executive decisions on those. And so dealing with that like workload, but also like the experience, it's, it's a great way to start. I know it's not for everyone, but I, I thought it was, it was a great way to start my career. Yeah, I think I think the big problem. I think we discussed this uh, at some point. The big problem is like once you step inside of uh, private practice, it's all the billables, all explaining to the client why you build a certain amount for this when they don't really know what's you know. Like sometimes you go deep or like you make a motion like perfect, and it takes time. And like they're like, oh, why'd you build this amount? Well, because I wasn't trying to make it perfect, dude. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Yeah, and it's it's almost like you feel like you're like explaining yourself like almost like apologizing when you're putting in your entries it's like writing in a diary right like dear partner today i spent 12 minutes writing the caption uh it took me 12 minutes because i'm kind of you still probably had a typo (laughs) (laughs) still had a typo dude typos in the captions are the worst but they're just like you you Focus so much on the body and then you just forget those captions and then that's how the partners make you feel so stupid. Well, you know, like I actually, I think given, um, you know, my work product, I think sometimes the typo in the caption just sends the message right there. Like, don't, don't expect like a, 
John Roberts, you know, decision over here. We're, we're starting up with a typo in the caption, so it, it only gets worse from here. Managing expectations. That's a, it's an important thing that I don't teach you in law school. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. I mean, the other thing they don't teach you in law school is like, as you were saying, you got to, you got to do all this, all these memos, all this stuff in law school, you have a whole semester to do one memo. Um, as an attorney, you have maybe an hour to prepare. Um, and I think law school doesn't really teach you that. It's something that you just, you know, you, you just get thrown in there and you, you're supposed to know what to do, which is a little crazy. So that's just my take on that. No, I think that's a universal sentiment. Um, it's th three years of school and I mean, Maybe in your third year, you're taking like some practical courses. Like trial are, techniques. Yeah. No, nobody's, nobody's doing trials. Like what the fuck is that? Well, and like the, the, the courses that you take your 3L year, like that, I mean, the ones that I absorbed the most and got the most out of, they were actually taught by adjuncts, right? People who are like practicing and then I'll teach a couple classes on the side. Um, if, if you look at like a lot of your like professors, like they probably, what, like, clerked, then clerked, and then maybe spent a couple years in private practice and then crawled into academia. So they have all sorts of, you know, like nice theories about like, you know, like this is how things should be in the abstract world, but they're not actually in the front lines anymore. And if, if they ever were, you know, that that's another disconnect because, because they're so detached from what the practice actually is. We're not learning about, um, you know, like the interpersonal skills or how to quickly put together a memo or like um, or how to bring in business, yeah. like, for, like bringing in businesses. Like nobody ever teaches you that, like that, A, you're probably not. Well, first of all, if you work in big light, you're probably never going to bring in business because it's already taken or there's a conflict or you're billing way too high for a small business to pay those you know crazy rates. Um, and that's something that law school doesn't really teach you. So uh, I think the third year needs but, to be reconsidered. They, they did teach us the rule of perpetuities, right? Oh, 100%, which I still did, don't fucking understand. Do, do you know it by heart? 20, yeah, a life must not <laughs> vest within 21 years from another life and being. Some, yeah, something like that. <laughs> something like that. that that's, that's verbatim what he put down on his property final. So, 100%. Yeah, Thankfully, it was pass-fail, so we're all good on that one. <laughs> Yo, what about all these people right now that are graduate or like their their finals were all pass fails and they're just doing you know th their last semester of three L in uh, through Zoom? That's crazy. Can you imagine that? I would have hated that. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I knew, like, I, I was I was we were, I was one of the lucky people who had a job lined up when I was graduating, so um, that stress wasn't there. Um, but I can only imagine like how terrifying it has to be to know that. You took out like all of this money at three years where you weren't generating anything. There's probably expectations that you're going to get a job out of law school, but instead you're what, like in your couch in pajamas, like listening to some lecture and you're like stressed about, about what's going to happen. Um, I can only imagine how horrifying that has to be. It's crazy. And there's a couple of states that are doing, I know I've, I, I don't remember exactly the, the state, but some states are doing um, in-home, like like remote bar exams, just crazy. How are they going to control cheating on that? And then other states are allowing kids that are graduating to practice law for a bit till they can administer the bar exam. But like like in Florida, they're <laughs> they're putting the, the desk six feet away and like you're already dealing with the stress of the bar exam, which is unlike any other stress you've ever dealt with before because your whole life 
is based on this one dumb test where you're you know testing on things that you you can just open up a book and like look into it's just the dumbest thing ever um but now you have to deal with freaking out about your next door neighbor coughing on you while you're taking a test it's just crazy right if florida florida is one of the states right that's that's going through with the they're like the they're state. like yeah fuck these kids <laughs> you know we already have enough attorneys classic, classic florida <laughs> yeah classic free bath salts with uh with, with every test i mean florida's like the the wild not the wild west the wild southeast right now it always has been right yeah it's crazy so going back to um you know we already explored like i i'm always going to tell people going to law school is not worth it but on top of that i would say that sticking around long enough to make partner is also not worth it too. What do you Oh, 100%. And I, I was just having this conversation actually like 20 minutes ago with one of our friends from law school. Um, she was telling me that this kid that we know is grinding super hard, just putting in like 200, 220 hours every month or more uh, because he wants to make partner. And we were just discussing how it's just funny because, okay, you're, what are you working? You're working your whole life for this and you're putting crazy amounts of hours. You're not, you're not, you know, putting time into your family or relationships or whatever, your hobbies that, you know, what you once had and to becoming a non-equity partner where you're probably going to be making less money that you did as an associate and where you're probably never going to be an equity partner. Um, where the other side is you could just go into the plaintiff side, probably make way more money and work way less hours. So I think making partner is just, uh, you know, something of the past. I think our generation's kind of seeing it and being like, oh, that's kind of sucks. I don't want to do that. Right. It, it just doesn't seem like it's worth it because it's so much of a time investment. Like you are losing out on your 20s, probably a good chunk of your 30s too. You're missing out on, you know, probably like the early years of your marriage, maybe even the first couple of years of uh, your, your child's lives. And you're basically an associate, but now you have more demands, right? Now you have to go groveling for clients. You're like fucking Oliver Twist. Like, please, sir, could I have some business? And like, that's that's basically your life. <laughs> that's the thing. That's you become your life. like like unless you have uh, a way to bring in business, which is really rare. Unless you have that, you're probably going to be a service partner for you know the rest of your life, which just sucks. I see service partners that are fifty or you know sixty, and they're basically associates. They're you know waiting for the work to come from another partner who's out there. Uh, he, you know, the rainmakers who's out there, you know, hanging out, leaving the office at four, getting in at 10, doing whatever he wants. Um, and I just think it's, you know, people think that you can, anybody can make equity partner and that's not the case. And I think that's why I said, I'm saying our generation is going to just, you know, it's, they're seeing that and they're being like, wait, I don't want to do that. I want to do something where I can actually like enjoy life, you know? Right. And again, like if you do win the big prize at the end of being equity partner, well, guess what? Like you're probably in your mid to late fifties, right? And probably had two heart attacks. Over. Yeah, you're on your third divorce. Like your life's over. You missed it. Yeah, ex exactly, one hundred percent. So yeah, I think that that goal. I mean, it's it's maybe for some people, but not for everybody. I do think there is something about going into big law. Um, I think it, you know, you do learn a lot, not in the practical sense, because you do, don't get to do a lot of depositions and motions and stuff like that, or, you know, trial probably never, but there is something to be said about working with these people that are supposed to be the best lawyers and ever because they work in big law. And that's just not the case. You know, most of the 
lawyers uh, and big law are just the same as somebody at a, at a mid-sized or smaller firm. It doesn't mean that, you know, they're they're going to win, win every case or they're just, you know. So I think that was really good to see that, you know, I can stick, I can play with those people and I can do that from a different place where I'm making more money and have better hours. Yeah, um, I would say from the outside, um, my, my trajectory was working as a prosecutor and then going into mid-sized insurance defense. So, but being on the outside, I would say if the opportunity does present itself, do it for a couple of years. It's probably going to be miserable, like be smart and save your paychecks. But the biggest takeaway from it is it's almost like a filtering process, right? Because so many people aren't doing it. So you being able to do it, even if you do it for a couple of years, that's a filtering process on its own, right? That's something that, you know, like you just transition to the plaintiff side, right? And whatever, like, let's just say you're in a heated deposition or whatever, like you have a defense attorney who's angry with you and they try to disparage you. Well, nobody can ever really say anything to you because you already did big law. You were already there, right? 100%. And a lot of, I mean, it's really funny because the first thing I do when I have a new case or when I'm assigned to a case is I look at the other side. I look what law school they went to. I look what firms they went to. I think that, you know, it says volumes, just how they're going to handle the case, not whether they're smart or not, not whether they're a good lawyer or not. But uh, I do see a lot of correlation between people that went to like a great law school and were a big law. They're, you know, they're more on top of their stuff. Not to say that's always the case, but um, I, I have seen that. So I, I do think that the best, if you want to be like the greatest trial attorney or litigator, um, the best course is just to be a prosecutor and then maybe hop into big law and then switch to plaintiff side where you can actually, you know, be, uh, be a lawyer and have fun. Well, I mean, let's, let's just expand that a little bit. You can't like, as speaking as a prosecutor, I know from my class, you can't really make the transition from being a prosecutor to big law. Uh, one of the, one of the, I guess, downfalls of the job is you spend all this time in court, right? like doing motions or like arguing motions and taking cases to trial, preparing witnesses, but you're not doing the substantive research and writing that other litigators are. And that is going to be like a hurdle that's going to be really difficult to overcome. Have so you, have you had, that, like, have you noticed that it's harder for you to like to do that or did you just like you get right into it? Oh yeah, no. So um, for my class, there was about 60 of us and I was, I was the first person to jump to the private sector and all my colleagues started slowly trickling down. But like a common theme has been like basically relearning how to, how to use Lexus and Westlaw because we <laughs> sure use it so that. infrequently. We, we used it so infre infrequently um, and, the, and the motions were like beyond boilerplate. There was very little to change. And so um, that's an aspect of a litigator that when you're leaving a DA's office isn't really fleshed out. So if there is anybody that's you know listening that is a prosecutor that does want to end up in big law, um, the right trajectory would be to um, you know like really earn your stripes there on the state level, but then go to the feds, right? If you can work your if you can work your way into the local U.S. Attorney's Office, or um, on lesser level, the Attorney General's Office, flesh out your writing skills over there. Then you can make the jump. But again, like we said, and they make good money, right? Really worth it. What is a what does a USA uh, USA make? Um, I mean, it really varies based on the markets. But um, I think if you're coming in like 
three, four, five years out. I think that's probably like the earliest you can get in. You're gonna Six be figures, right? GS grade. Um, I, I, I would say a lot of times, um, maybe around like the 80s, and then sometimes it can for U.S. Attorney's up. Office. I thought it was higher for some of them. Um, it really depends on the market. They do add locality pay, but remember, there's not everyone. I mean, actually, very few people are going to be at the Southern District of New York. You're right. actually going to be in like the Western District of Texas and all of Nebraska, yeah, or Nebraska. A thief grew up in Nebraska, which yeah, which um, you know, you could. The U.S. Attorney of Nebraska. I mean, if you're listening, bud, like, shoot us a line and let us know how much you're making. But it's probably not that much. <laughs> yeah, um, but but it's crazy. I mean, I I do I have a lot of friends that started at the state attorney's office, and they get they started making forty five thousand dollars. I just it's this crazy discrepancy, and it's no wonder people go straight into civil practice because it's just you know who can afford living like that. Right, and and uh, I mean, Miguel, you're based in. Miami, like forty five k in Miami. What what can you do with that? Yeah, it's either forty five or fifty four. I'm I'm dys- dyslex- the dyslexic today. I can't even speak, but somewhere around dys- there. Dyslexic. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. That's why I didn't go to a top fourteen. I only went to a top twenty school. Exhibit A. So, just for now, um, your take: law school is still worth it. Yeah, I think law school is definitely worth it. It was the best series of my life. It really teaches you how to think like in a different perspective. Um, and I, I use that every day, whether it's I'm practicing law or not, um, and relationships. It really taught me how to, how to you know, speak in public as well, which is great. Um, but I do think it's worth it. I think you do need to kind of understand what it's like to be a lawyer before you go out there. I think that's the most important part. But I, I mean, Steve, didn't you love, I mean, our, our 2L and 3L year were the best years. We just had so much fun. Yeah. 3L was a lot of fun. Um, again, I like, we're lucky in the sense that we had jobs lined up. I didn't, I didn't have a job. I was just, I, I was just, you know, I was like, listen, it's going to, whatever it's going to happen. Everything in life happens for a reason and whatever. So, so you know how we were talking earlier about how um, I have more of like a Seinfeld, Kerber enthusiasm, sense of humor, Miguel's more of a Big Bang Theory kind of guy. Um, everything happens for a reason. So there, there you go. Um, my take is always going to be don't go to law school. Um, at this point, like I can't think of any circumstance where it's actually worth it unless you are financially set. Right. The, the trust fund is like all like ready for you. You don't have to worry about anything else. And you're, you have like some issue that you feel strongly about and you're going to go into the you know, public interest work. Not worth it. I think. No, but I, but to add on that, I, I do think uh, it's really important that if you do go, that you go to the school that gives you the best scholarship, that you pay the least amount of money to go. Because um, after you graduate, you're going to be, you know, just full of debt forever and that's the only reason you're going to be working and it's just going to add on to your you know your misery it's going to be okay so i'm now working my ass off i gotta pay this a thousand dollar a month loan or more and i don't have any money to spend to do fun stuff so i do think there's something to be said about going to the best school that you can but also the cheapest school that you can when he said fun stuff he meant um for loco 
right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, apparently they're releasing they're releasing a new one. I heard so your your year is going to be made. I mean, twenty twenty for you is going to not going to be that bad anymore. Anything to get through the quarantine? I know. Right. Um, um, so I think we're going to wrap it up for today. Um, we want to thank everyone for listening. Um, this is obviously our first episode, but any feedback that you have, uh, we would love to hear it. Our plan, starting with the next episode, is to bring on different guests from different aspects of the legal field, like different professions. But we also just want to include, you know, people who are um, tangentially related, like process servers, right? And um, we really just want to shed light on the legal world, but do it in in a fun, light way that you're really not going to get anywhere else. Miguel? Yeah, our main goal at some point is to get Brett on the podcast. If we do that, I think <laughs> I think I can I can hang my you know hat and just be happy for the rest of my life. So that's our that's our goal. But yeah, stay tuned. We'll let you know when the next one will be. We'll hopefully have someone in here that's pretty interesting, so you guys can get a little behind the scenes look at how what it's like to be a lawyer, how miserable it is. <laughs> but thank you so much for following, and we will uh, let you know when the next one is.